0: We're going down to the river. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 is where we're going to start tonight. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We see Paul here, and uh, while he's talking about the end times in this chapter, actually, Uh, He throws us a part of the armor of God that he talks about in Ephesians. But he directly calls out the fact that we need a helmet, the hope of salvation. Because he has destined for us salvation through Jesus Christ above all things. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, God. Break the dirt up in our hearts, God. Let it find good ground with your word tonight. Anoint this message. Anoint us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So if you'll be patient with my voice and uh, the water drinking tonight, the unit I did have to go to the last couple days is a sulfur unit, and it always kills my voice every time. Uh, it's a horrible smell the whole time. Uh, I've basically been working on top of a sulfur pit the last two nights, and uh, it's like being next to hell without actually being in it. So uh, be patient with me, but I'm I'm going to get to the, the point I'm looking for. And the message I'd like to talk to you tonight is uh, going to be titled, Tired and Dirty, but I still have my hat. It's it's not as good as your titles, but I'm working out. I'm working. (laughs) We're going to get there one day. Hope. We do have hope. And we have hope in salvation. And it's a helmet. That's exactly how Paul described it. Why a helmet, Paul? Well, at best I can figure out, you know, from little Bible knowledge, the Bible talks about us in three parts, body, spirit, and soul. It's repeated in scripture multiple times we focus in church lots on keeping our flesh our body in control keeping our spirit right and keeping it filled but sometimes we do leave out the soul part well what what is the soul it is the part of you left by process of elimination minus the spirit and the flesh it is your mind it is your will it is your character it is your integrity it is what is on the inside of right there it's your nature without the pulls of the flesh If we think of it as as just our mind or our will, it it makes sense that God would have designed hope and salvation as a helmet to protect us. From what? How is your soul or your your mind attacked? Well, fear. There's a lot of that going on. Depression, anxiety, self-condemnation. That'd be the top of the list, but the list can be pretty long. It can get really long. It's not new. It's scriptural. All the way back to the Old Testament, people fought with their mind. If we look at Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21, it says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So even way back then, There was hope in their mind that the Lord's mercies were coming. The helmet we wear is a a hope and it's a recollection that salvation and mercy are always within reach and should not ever be conditional or ever be considered far from reach. I worry that as our our world and the the generations change, and we are are seeing a generational shift and a world shift right now, that we're leaving putting... What we have learned in time as Christians, we're putting that on the table first, and we put it too fast in front of the people we're reaching, in front of the harvest, and it's too much meat and not enough milk too soon. And we're forgetting the hope of salvation, how he designed it. And it causes issues sometimes. It does. It causes new Christians to be aborted before their time, people to get discouraged and distraught over Christianity because while they should still be hunting salvation. They're trying to take in the entirety of the word. And I hope when we haven't let go of how close and easy salvation should and can be for the lost and the broken. If we look at uh, Matthew 20 in the parable of the last hour laborers, most of us who show on Wednesday will be considered in there as all day laborers. You know, the people who show up on Wednesday night are usually the consistent church members who have been there a while. So that's mostly who we're talking to. And in Matthew 20, they have laborers who start at the beginning of the day and laborers who start at the the ninth hour and the middle of the day and all throughout the day and even the eleventh hour, the last hour of the day. They come to help reap the harvest. And then at the end of the day, the twelfth hour, the master pays them, every man, the same. The same salvation to the newest laborer of the field and the oldest laborer in the field. And see, Jesus gave us this parable for a reason. The last shall be first and the first shall be last, he says in the next couple of verses. And we we can't forget, as long as we're here, that the people who come after us get the same reward in the end, despite the work amount they put in for coming later. Bishop T.F. Tenney was a wisdom quote hero of mine. He had better quotes than anyone I've ever heard. And I heard him from the time I was a little kid uh, my whole life. And of all his profound statements, the greatest that ever sank deep into me that I cannot let go of is this. Some of us have less brothers and sisters than God has sons and daughters. And we should feel that in this generation. Church, I'm not criticizing here. I've I've been at the point in my life where I've killed Christians from the bitterness that I spewed out of my mouth on a daily basis. You wouldn't dream of the things that I would say to speak against the church and the people of God. And of all the people that I may have affected in that time, speaking that the church was in error when I was in error in my spirit. But in this time, as pastor preached, Sunday in this last hour we've got to start looking at the field like it is the 11th hour and there, there are people coming in right now who haven't worked like we have they haven't served like we have or they haven't made sacrifices like we have but if it is truly the end of the harvest we had better be accepting of how they get here <laughs> when they get here and what they're doing here The Bible says the field is white with harvest, but the laborers are few. We need all the help we can get. It can't be an exclusive club. It can't be a one-team show. It's got to be about the kingdom of God and the fact that he came to reach the least of these. And you may say, hey, it doesn't seem fair. I'm tired. I've worked hard to maintain my Christianity. And it can be a fight sometimes. It can be tiresome. we may be getting tired from working a long time towards our salvation and discipling people and teaching and training people but that means the new people who are getting here are excited and full of energy and wanting to help and the master wants them in the field to reap the harvest we think it's not fair that they haven't been through the things that we have been through they haven't endured the things that we have endured but if you look at the view and the fairness from the other side They haven't got to work their whole lives for a good master. They didn't even know the master of all creation wanted them in his field. They didn't know the master of heaven and earth even cared for them. They haven't got to spend time with him in his vineyards. They haven't got to lay down with him in green pastures during the slow seasons for rest. They may not have put in the work yet, But they have been living without hope and love and peace. And we had better grab them up and love them as a brother and sister and bring them to the field and say, help me reap God's harvest. It's the last hour. The Bible says specifically he wants all to come to him. It doesn't matter what you look like or what you've done. Just come. I'm tired some days. But you know what? I'm holding on to salvation. I'm holding on to the hope of salvation. And I want as many people as I know to feel the same way. The pastor said, Sonny, you know, I'm not worried about their denomination. I'm doing what God tells me. I don't have business with the Methodist. I've got business with the Methodists. I don't have business at the Baptist I have business with who's on the barstools and the fact that they're full. I have to compel the ones who are alcoholics, atheists, agnostics, the lost, the broken, the depressed, the fearful. That is what God has designed me for. That is what the field is. And if I'm not doing that, what am I doing? He designed us for the least of these. Life will try and get you when you're tired and you're toiled all night. But it can change in an instant with God. Because life is not just tiring sometimes. It gets dirty. It gets downright muddy. It rains on the just and the unjust, the Bible says. It's not fair. But we have to be careful with what happens when that dirt starts getting on our Christianity and on our armor that God gave us to borrow, to protect us. Well, what gets your armor dirty? It's what brings you down spiritually would be the best description. It's what takes you from a place of walking with God to a place of crawling in the mud behind God. It can be a lot of things. And nowadays, you know, we see it in fear, chronic pain, sickness, disasters, recessions, war, family struggling, unanswered prayers we wait on, miracles that don't happen, family that won't reach for them. These things weigh on us, not on our flesh, but in the spirit, on our soul. They weigh on us and they pull us down. And the enemy wants us to get down and depressed and get us our armor muddy about these things. And sometimes it happens, but we can't stay that way. If you look at the scriptures in Mark 5, the story of the woman with the issue of blood, 12 years praying, 12 years not answered. 12 years wanting and hurting 12 years not answered 12 years of people telling her he won't or 12 years of people telling her give up and maybe some saying don't give up have faith it'll be okay you know, sometimes we pray for things and they just don't come and that weighs on us in the spirit it gets us tired it gets us dirty we believe we have faith we work on our end And we hope and pray for the miracle to step in and do the parts and the things that we can't. She lived this life in Mark 5. She probably had plenty of bad days, depressed days, days she didn't want to talk about it. Like Job, her friends probably accused her of being sinful. God wasn't going to help her. That she held on to something. But she really held on to some hope. Because Jesus told her her faith made her whole, but it's what her faith was in that was her real secret. She didn't just have faith that the miracle was possible. She had faith that he was the Messiah. She had a grasp on who the miracle giver was. Therefore, she knew the miracle would come if she could just touch the Savior. He would touch her. I think we get down and out sometimes when our prayers don't get answered. I know I do. Come on, somebody say amen. I say that. I've lived that. And there's always a part of every sermon that a preacher learns because that's how he lives. That's, that's what happened to him. And this is that part. I'll try to not be too emotional, but I just told you what my dad's nickname is. So I may be that way. Some of you do know and uh, some of you don't, but it's no secret to me and Melissa that We have fought infertility for a very long time. I'm not telling you this for sympathy. I'm telling you this because I need to scripturally. 2022 will make the 12th year for us. Six of those 12, we lived away from God in pain, fighting each other, fighting life, bitter at the world, bitter at church, bitter at God, bitter at the people closest to us. The last six years, we've been here, healing, growing, trying to rebuild the things that we broke down in our life. Of God. I knew in twenty sixteen when we came here that it was possible I'd be up here one day. And I started asking God again, said God give me give me that miracle that we've been waiting on. Something to stand up there and, and testify about, something to stand up there and shout about, to jump about, to preach about. Oh how I wish that was tonight, Sister Debbie. So when she sat there for twelve years. Chasing the miraculous in the book of Mark. I know what she felt. The woman who pushed through that crowd was pretty desperate. Her armor armor wasn't pretty anymore. She'd been too long in desperation for that. Because sometimes when your faith gets tested and tried and battled, you do good enough for a few days to just drag it around on a rope behind you through the mud. You still got it. My faith is never wavering. I've never given it up. But it don't look like it did 12 years ago. That shield's been hit by some arrows that were burning. That shield's been hit by some axes and some swords. It's been through some battles. And it's been laid down in the mud for me to sleep on. It's been laid down in the mud for me to pray on. It's been laid down in the mud for me to crawl with. It doesn't look like it used to. Hers look like that, too. It's not a beautiful picture of roses in Christianity, after some battles. It doesn't look like you want to be on the front line anymore. It looks like you fought a lot, won some, lost some. And they can see that, Brother Will, maybe you're free, but you're wounded. That message has stuck with me for quite a while. Brother Carver told me that day, you preach that, Brother Will, that just because you're healed doesn't mean that you're not scarred. And those scars will be a reminder of the bad times and a reminder of the healing. And I may have scars, but my armor shouldn't because my armor's not natural. It's supernatural. It's the armor of God, and I'm just borrowing it. Church, as long as you're fighting battles, your sword's getting dull every swing. Maybe you had to fight some battles before, and they used to be a lot easier. It seems like lately the little battles are lost faster. Your arms are getting tired. Come on. Last two years, weigh on anybody. The little ba- battles just, you don't, you don't try as hard. Swords too heavy. You want to fight, but the strength you used to have to, for the fight, it's just not there right now. You start taking the little losses here and there and getting knocked down in the mud, getting up slower each time, but you are getting up. When your feet are shod with the gospel of peace, but you've been through so much mud and junk and fights and battlefields the last few years that they are covered in the remnants of what you've been wading in and you can't see the peace of God anymore. Then your true self outside of that peace starts showing anger, pain, offense, bitterness, hate. It all comes to top because you can't see the peace of God. But those things are not of God. And that mud is just temporary. She couldn't have dragged a big shield through that crowd. She couldn't have picked up a big shield and said, look at me, I got faith. Jesus, I got faith. And pushed a bunch of grown men out the way and pushed a bunch of kids over and pushed her way to him with a big old shield in her hand. She would have never done that. She would have never made it to him like that. She couldn't have swung a sword through the crowd. The sword back then was the law. And we all know you go slinging the hard scriptures of the law at people, you're going to, maim the people that trying to get to Jesus she knew better now life had brought her exactly where brother John Russell told us it's going to sometimes Low. and unfortunately that's exactly where God brings us sometimes but when you get there you had better have a grasp on your helmet of salvation and the hope that Jesus Christ Will pick you up and restore you and redeem you. She had a made up mind, determined mindset, crawling through those people saying, It doesn't matter who steps on me, it doesn't matter who kicks me, it doesn't matter who st- steps on my hands. I would drop the sword anyway if I tried to bring it in here. I just have to get close to Jesus. My faith is somewhere behind me. I know I got it, but it's tied on a rope. I'm just dragging it around. My sword is dull and it's lost some fights. It's not doing any good right now. But I've got some hope in my mind that if I can just touch the lowest part of my highest priest, of my master and creator, then he can still save me from myself. Church, have we lost that determination? Have we lost the battle cry of Job? The man who had it worse in any culture, his story goes across the world. In any culture, he is the story of what happens to the worst times. And he says, I know my Redeemer lives. Though he slay me, still I will praise him. How can you be the most unlucky man in the world and make two of the most profound statements that Christianity will worship to for the rest of eternity. He had taken hold of that which had taken hold of him, a hard grasp on the fact that God is his salvation, his rock, and as long as I build my life on the fact that he is the savior, the redeemer, my hope, my omega, my finisher, my provider, the one that put my name and the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world, then I'm gonna praise and call on him when I'm on the mountain, and I'm gonna praise and call on him the mountains in my way I'm going to praise and call on him when all my prayers are answered and when they're not answered and when I'm down when I'm tired and when I'm dirty I've got hope and salvation can we just give him a 30 second praise Just, just 30 seconds it don't matter how you came in here if you still got your helmet on you should give him a little bit of praise he's about to reset you Life on earth is is very temporary. It's very temporary, but we still hold on to the hope of salvation. We cannot forget too easily that God has designed us for a short term here. We're in this world, but not of this world, but it's a short term here, and eternity is elsewhere. And it's been said here at this church a lot. We, We fell so in love with our lives here that COVID was such a wreck on our country because everything changed. And now we spent two years regrouping and rebuilding and finding new normals. But it's still short. What's two years to eternity? What's 100 years to eternity? 168 hours in a week for my green personalities. This is for y'all. If you sleep seven days a week, that leaves you only seven hours a day. It leaves you 119 a week. I don't sleep that much. If you commute, that's another 10 and a half hours lost a week on average. If you take showers, bathrooms, and getting dressed every day, which I hope you do, that's another 14 hours a week you lose. Another 14 hours a week eating if you can jam all three to five meals in two hours a day. That's down to 80.5 hours left. Now, I sure hope all y'all work 40 hours because that's a good job. My job is not ordinary. It is underwhelming and overtaxed sometimes. But I know that in this area, a lot of people work like I do. Uh, I yearly average around 75 to 77 hours a week. That's with eight to 10 weeks off. My hours still average out for that. Um, I normally work around 85 to 91 hours a week when I'm actually working, which is why my wife babysits me, basically, and preps my five meals a day. and washes all my clothes and irons all my shirts, and puts my socks on before I get out to bed in the morning. <laughs> Just kidding, she don't do that. She's definitely asleep when I leave, that's a, that's a fact. Uh, and it, it's a little out of the ordinary to work like that. But that's my life. I don't like it. Come on, Brother Hot Tower. He knows, that's my best friend. He's, hear, he's heard my complaints, and I've heard his. Uh, it's, it can be a miserable life sometimes. And I promise you all that no one wants out of it as much as me. We literally almost throw a party every time somebody retires from from working with us or takes another job outside of the plant. Like, it's a true celebration. (laughs) One of of my longtime workers just left to go take an assistant pastor's job in in Mobile, and uh, we were ecstatic that he got out and lost uh, two-thirds of his salary. If he can make it, I love it. I don't like it. I expected to be out by now, Brother Will. I really did. Like, we should have been done already. Uh, it's been about 15 years. And what a lot of people don't know, for the, the older members of the church who's been here a long time, 15 years ago, a member of this church, his name was Brother Kenny Hill, actually hired me and Brother William and did not know that we would ever show up here and be tithe payers at his church long after he was gone. But he... He hired us on a chance and talk about a chance they took william out the first day almost in handcuffs because his background was so bad uh, am i am i lying Did they, they took him right back out the plant i said you can't be in here it took him three months to get back in he had to get everything cleared up that's a true story and uh so when he came back three months later is when i came with him we started uh working together and at first it was right on the time both of us we were going through a transition of, of being in church to walking away from church. And I promise you, people thought we were retarded when we got there because you've never seen people fast for three days, wear slicker suits and fresh air mask in 100-degree weather, and nearly die on a day-to-day basis, cry at the drop of a hat, and pray for anybody who works with us. Because that's, that's, that's exactly how we did it for the first six months. And we were in that transition, things started changing as we walked away, and I never thought 15 years later I would still be doing that. The plan was literally, when I got there, Melissa can tell you, we agreed on this, let's pay off everything we have, build a new house, and walk into full-time ministry. That's the goal. That was 15 years ago, (laughs) still not out of debt. She's expensive. I wouldn't have it any other way. But in, in the beginning of 2019, I really thought it was time to go. Like I was I was ready to go. Lord let me out of this. I'm I'm tired of this this job. Uh, I beg God. Melissa could tell you that I've spent many a times in prayer crying and weeping for God to let me out. Any other door that you can open that'll sustain me, let me out. And while I was begging God to get me out, God was putting things in motion to elevate me and promote me. And at first, I was like, this is not what I was planning on doing. I was, I'm going the other direction. Uh, this is not a good idea. But I wasn't debt-free yet, so I, I took it. And over the course of twenty, the beginning of 2019 through now, God keeps pr- promoting me and giving me favor. And I didn't understand it, but I've always—I I was— Cold as a kid, when God opens the door, you walk through the door. If He opens the door, you walk through the door. If the door is closed, don't fight the closed door. Just walk through the open door because He ordains your steps. Don't fight what's closed and make it happen. So, God had a different plan. And uh, I spent a lot of time with the people I work with, that is family. Day in and day out, 80-plus hours a week, they're there with me, and uh, we become like family. Melissa could tell you it's a, it's a unique culture. For those of you work in the plant, it's a bunch of heathens. They are unruly, savage, addicts, adulterers, and alcoholics, but I love them. And it can be a dark place if you let it, but it, it can also be a field that you can hold a light in. And I... While I was begging to get out, I was taking correction by my wife saying, this is, this is your field. God put you here for a reason. This is your family. And if I can hold on to my helmet, every day I go put this on. It may be the only light of salvation they see for days, for weeks, for months, for their entire life. I don't, I don't know all their history, but this may be the only little light. And you know what? I'm human. They see me tired, they see me angry, they see me dirty, and I'm not talking about physically dirty at work. That's rare. They see my armor dirty, but they know my story. They know where I came from. They know what I gave up. They know what, I'm do, what I do now. They know where I'm going, and they know I'm not backing up. <laughs> and I have watched over the last two years as the culture around me, with the people I work with change, the, the man with 50 demons tattooed on his body, the names of 50 demons, bows his head when we say our prayer every morning before we start work. The agnostic told me that uh, he was going to call me the golden rule Dove, and I, I told him because I treat people how I want to be treated. I said, no, I love my neighbor as myself. That's what you're supposed to do, and he don't want to hear that because you know it's scriptural, but he took it anyway. And, you know, pastor told us Sunday, it is the time of the last revival. And we as church members, I'm I'm not standing up here as a pastor. I'm not a pastor here tonight. I sit on the pew just like y'all. And we as church members cannot pull our lights out of the dark fields right now. It is the time of the last hour and the harvest. And if we pull the light of salvation away from the darkness, then darkness overruns. Because light affects dark. Dark doesn't affect light. I don't always like it. I don't win every battle. But I am placed as a light in a dark place. And I have a responsibility to keep my lamp filled with oil and anointed and burning. I'm not baptizing people in tank farms or the Mississippi River. But when I beg God to, to get out and he just... Keeps promoting me. I, I see it changing, Pastor. I, I see things move different. I, I have people, I'm a very close friend, and he's a very serious alcoholic, and he tries every January to quit drinking for three months, and he's not always successful for more than three to five weeks, but he never tried that before. And when his wife got cancer for the third time, he come to me for prayer. Because our light can affect, even in the smallest amounts, the darkness. And I don't see the results from it every day. But when I see the results, I celebrate the wins. Because the light of the gospel of Jesus, there's not a better song to say it. It's not meant to be hid under a bushel. Just saying, that's, that's that's a very serious song. Uh, you can put my picture up, Sister Brittany, if you don't mind. So this is uh, in February. That's kind of me in the middle, in the black jacket on. There's some of my guys. We did an unusual job. So uh, in the plant world, hot taps are considered your, your more dangerous work, and uh, hot taps on hydrocarbon pipes, super explosive stuff is the higher end of that, well, normally they flow through the pipe, they put process going through it, so it stays cold and it doesn't ignite when you're welding on it. Uh, we're a specialty welding company, they say, and uh, <laughs> some of them's probably watching this. So. <laughs> they, uh, they wanted us to do this job, and it was, it was a big concern of mine. And of, of all my guys, because we don't normally do it without flow. They, they, This pipe was locked down. It's full of hydrogen. It's fall, literally falling apart feet from where we're working on it. It's clamps all over it, holding it together. And we have to weld on it. And it's very thin. It's very brittle. It's almost to the point of where you just can't do it. And they still want to do it. And it's very out of ordinary. Most plants won't allow you to do that. This plant is not one of those most plants. It's not one of the good plants that make you work super safe. So we, we made them sit down with the... Uh, the plant manager, the process managers, the safety managers. I, I let all all these guys sit down with them and express all their concerns. And we get out there. This is We're up there. They're about to fire up and hopefully not blow up. We said a prayer before we went up there. We say a prayer before we start work every day. Our whole company does. But we got these guys together, set another one. they get up there. And uh, the guy out right there on the right, his name is Wes. He's got six kids, fourth generation military. He was in Fallujah, uh, injured a vet. He's got six kids and they're like 12 and under i don't know what he was thinking and he looks at me he says uh look i know why you're up here because if this thing blows up you want to be with us i said yeah I, I probably couldn't sleep if i did you know he said but i need you to go down i said why he said uh because i don't trust anybody else to make sure my kids are okay Musicians, you can come, and y'all can stand. I'm almost done. I don't know about y'all, but uh, God speaks to me in, in dreams and visions. I'm, I've never heard the audible voice of God. Uh, that's that's the only, and I have to understand them. I have to pray about them. In February 2021, I had a dream. It was extremely realistic. It's the most fearful dream I'd ever had in my life at that point. And I, don't, I've never, I never have fearful dreams. Like I, never, I don't watch horror movies or anything like that. So I've, that's never been an issue to me to have a dream of fear. And I, I'm not sure why, but in the dream I woke up in my bed and I, I could hear my front glass break on the front door and the door unlock, and someone come into the house. And immediately, you know, I sit up in the bed. And this is in the dream. I don't sleepwalk. If I did sleepwalk, Melissa would have to redesign how I keep guns in the house would not be safe but in the dream I sit up in the bed and uh, I grab a gun that there's plenty of them but I grab the one that keeps close to my bed I walk to the door and as I turn out of out of the bedroom and into the looking into the kitchen uh, I turn the light on on the front of the gun and I can see that the light comes on but I can't see anything it's like my eyes are stitched together And I could hear the intruder laughing at me. But there was nothing I could do about it because I couldn't see. And so I I pulled the trigger on the gun in the direction of the noise of the laughter, which is not the best thing to do, but I was dreaming, so it's okay. And the gun wouldn't work. It's like the trigger was stuck. And if you know how I am about my guns, that's not going to happen. Too particularly. And I got up, and I, I felt fear all over me the entire dream, just encapsulating me. And I, said, I said, God, why? Why would I have this much fear in a dream? I've, I've never felt like this. I've never felt this fearful. I called my dad the next day. I said, you know, what is this? And he said, you should pray about it. And finally, weeks later, I felt God speak to me. You're trusting too much in your carnality and your weapons of the world that's not what you're meant to fight with. I took the correction, but in January this year, I had almost a recurring dream, but worse. I woke up in bed again, but I did not hear the glass break on the front door. I did not hear the lock turn. I just heard the door open. And when I heard the door open, I tried to sit up, but I couldn't sit up. It's like I was stuck to the bed. My arms wouldn't move, my head wouldn't turn, and I heard the intruder again at the door of my bedroom laughing, and I felt the fear, to, the spirit of feel fear as it shadowed over me from my feet and started coming up my body, and I couldn't move my hands, I couldn't speak to warn Melissa, I couldn't do anything, I couldn't cry out, I was completely locked, I couldn't even open my eyes, everything was stuck. right as the spirit of fear just came over my heart and I felt that heaviness sit on me. I mumbled over and over, Jesus. Through sewed lips that wouldn't move, Jesus. And I woke up in my sleep in the same exact position I dreamed I was in, mumbling to myself, Jesus. And when I woke up, I knew exactly what it was. And I got up, I ran upstairs, and I started praying. God, why would you let me have this fearful dream again? It took me months to get past that fear of that last one. I, I, I don't just get over it. Why would you do this to me again, God? What am I doing wrong in my life? And I felt for the very first time, Pastor, the correction and almost the anger of God as he spoke into my spirit in disappointment. You left door unlocked your armor is dirty, you're tired and you have almost let your light go out the enemy waits at your door always and I will always hear you cry out but the light was dim, the armor was cast down and the enemy could have taken you when he wanted River family, I don't know who this is for tonight. We cannot afford to let our lights go out. We cannot live without oil in our lamps. We can't show his salvation without it. We can make mistakes. We can have losses. We can get tired. But when we don't get up to fight again and find that secret place and anoint your shield like our pastor taught us, and sharpen your sword, and knock the dirt and the mud off your shoes, and say, God, I need your peace in my life. We are living in the 11th hour of harvest, and God needs his laborers more than ever. The field is ready. You go there every day. We work there, we eat there, you live there, it's your home, it's your job, it's your kids, it's your family, and it is a responsibility to each and every one of you as an adult to keep the door locked over your family, your anointing in the oil, the fire burning in salvation, and to keep the darkness out by keeping the light on. I'm not here tonight as a pastor, like I said. But last year I was tired and I was dirty. But God told me weeks ago, before you ever asked me to come up here, it is time to restrengthen and to refuel. It's not too late. As long as you've got your helmet on, He will come when you call. And these altars are open tonight because I feel like some people need to find that secret place in God and say, Father, I need to be restrengthened. I need to be refilled. My breastplate of righteousness is covered in mud, God. Renew me tonight, God. Restore me tonight, God. We're going down to the river.